are in a series entitled Runaway, as we are looking at the strange and obscure character prophet named Jonah. Um, this story, it's only four chapters, and the chapters are pretty small, but it just has this mixture of right and wrong, good and bad, obeying God, running away from God. And, and while this story took place about 2,500 years ago, so many of its themes apply to us directly today. And so we're going to jump into it. Um, chapter one, uh, we saw in week one that really God spoke to Jonah and God spoke to Jonah and then gave him a command and, and to go and preach to Nineveh. And we mentioned how Jonah gets a bad rap because he, he got the command to go and preach to Nineveh, Nineveh and he literally ran the other way. But the truth is, is that Nineveh was this evil city, this the city known for torture and beheading people and, and terrorism. In fact, the location of Nineveh is in central Iraq where it really was the foundation or basis from their descendants came out ISIS and things there too. So imagine if you received a mission, okay, your mission is to go into the headquarters of ISIS and preach repentance. I don't know, we might be quick to run away as well. And so while we talked about how even though Jonah ran away, God showed compassion and how God's compassion is not connected to our permission, but God's power. And that God showed compassion to the sailors on the boat that Jonah climbed into. And that showed compassion even to Jonah himself because when the sailors threw Jonah overboard, he was actually saved by a fish. Now it's a crazy thought, but... The fish is not the main point of the story. In fact, it's just an underwater Uber that God used to get him from one place to the next. And then last week, we talked about being rock belly bottom. I mean, he was in the bottom of the sea in the belly of a fish, but it was there that Jonah prayed for repentance. And we talked about how ultimately prayer is not a button to push, but a relationship to pursue. And so now he gets thrown back on land and we're going to see that God speaks to him again and gives him a second chance and see how Jonah responds differently. Now, what's awesome about this grace that we've been singing about all morning is that ultimately God can use anybody to do anything for his glory. Let me give you an example. Um, this guy on the screen you're going to see, his name is Rene, um, his nickname was Level Martinez. Now, Level was in a gang from the mid-80s all the way up to 2012. And it was in 2013 in his garage that actually, um, after hearing the message multiple times, multiple times, he finally broke down and actually prayed to receive Christ. And while he spent 30 years trying to take life, he committed the rest of his life to go and give it. So while much of his life was grown up in gangs and he almost died five or six times, but God spared him and, and saved him. And he was a part of this um, gang called the Latin Syndicate. And so you don't just get out of a gang, but yet he transitioned out and then he started preaching to the very brothers within his gang. And so actually there's a powerful picture here of one of his gang members, his name was Corey, and he preached the gospel, and Corey got saved, and here is Level baptizing one of the leaders of the Latin gang called the Syndicate. And what I find amazing is while he had the gang written on his chest, he had the gospel written in his heart, and it changed everything. 
And now God is using this former gang leader to to spread his message of hope and of life and forgiveness and freedom. Because ultimately God can use anybody to do anything for his glory. We're gonna read from Jonah chapter three here in a minute. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there. But before we jump into it, I want you to give the main idea. So if you walk away with nothing else this morning, I want you to write this down. Because then as we read through the chapter, you're going to see the progression of this statement. And so if you're taking notes, write this down. Is that God's grace is bigger than our past, our performance, and our prejudice. God's grace is bigger than our past. It is bigger than our performance. And it's bigger than our prejudice. So let's jump into the story. If, if you have your Bible open up here, if not, we have verses on the screen that you can follow along, but also we have um, brand new ESV Bibles available to you that we'd love to give you as a gift on your way out just for coming this morning. And so if you need a Bible, make sure you stop by our guest services table um, before you head out. So let's, let's jump into this. Jonah chapter three, verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I just want to pause there. How awesome is that, that God's grace means that we have a God of second chances? Amen. How many times have we messed things up, but yet God gives us a second chance? And God says, verse 2, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. In other words, it would take you three days to walk through the city. In fact, some commentators say that about 120,000 people lived in Nineveh at that time, which was a mega city. Uh, we live in a major city, and Phoenix is the sixth largest city in the country, and it's slated by 2030 to become the fourth largest city in the country. And Maricopa County, just last year, was the single fastest growing county in the entire country. And so while we live in a great major city, so here was Nineveh, and it was a, a city primarily turned away from God, and Jonah was going to walk right into the middle of it. So Jonah began to go into the city, going in a day's journey. I want to pause there. Now, he just, he just kind of walked in, and, and we said God's grace is bigger than our past because it starts off by saying that, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And I'm not certain, but if he would have disobeyed, I feel like it would have said, and the word of the Lord came a third time, and a fourth time, and a fifth time. Because that's what we call weekly church, amen? Like we come and we get a word and we don't do anything and then we come back and we get another one and we live out. And so we have a God of second and third chances because he wants us to be connected with him and he wants us to obey him. And so despite his recent past of completely running away from God, he gives him this great mission. And in spite of Nineveh, who was known for their cruelty and their sin and their evil ways, he's going to give them a second chance. And so despite their past, we're going to see the gospel and salvation that is presented to them. But secondly, it's, it's promoted, um, it's bigger than our performance because Jonah doesn't give his best effort, I'm going to be honest. 
Like this is where I say he's good, he's bad, he's right, he's wrong. So Jonah finally obeys God, but then doesn't even go to the most prominent part of the city. He just walks one day in and says, okay, I'm here. And then actually in Hebrew, what we're about to read is only five words. And so he just walks to a random place in the city and gives a five-word sermon. Um, this is equivalent to if you like tell your kids to clean up their room and they're like, fine. And they just tuck everything under the bed or in one spot or they pick up one piece. Like, can you clean up the living room? And it's like, sure. Okay, done. Like, there's no way you're done. No, I am. Um, and we've done this and they just do the minimum effort, right? Maybe you've been a part of a group project where somebody in the group project gave minimum effort and some of you are nodding angrily and some of you are trying not to move because you were that person <laughs> that barely contributed to the group project. So, um, so this is Jonah. Jonah. Jonah barely contributes to the group project. Okay, God, I'll obey you, but I'm not going all around the city. I'm just going to one spot and I'll give you one sentence. And so he says this here, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I don't know you, but that's not a very good sermon. Right? We have the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus. That's awesome. We have Peter, Paul, preaching incredible, powerful sermons. But someone walking into a city where he knows no one and saying, hey, 40 days are going to be overthrown. No context. No mention of God. No chance to repent. Overthrown by what? Like, he breaks every rule of good communication. He doesn't connect with the audience. He doesn't, he doesn't give them a chance to respond. He says, hey, random people that I don't know. You got 40 days, you're going to be overthrown. And ultimately, you're going to actually see Jonah in chapter 4, which we're going to talk about next week. He's actually going to leave the city and sit on a hill and say, all right, they're going to fail. I'm going to watch this city burn. And so he doesn't think it's going to work. Have you ever done something at work you don't think it's going to work, so you don't put in your full effort? Okay, some of you are afraid to admit that because maybe your boss is in the room. I'm sorry. But, um, right, you, sometimes we do things and we're like, eh, you know. It's like, it's like my version of cleaning versus my wife's version of cleaning. Like my version of cleaning is that it, if it's out of sight, it's out of mind, and it's clean, right? I remember actually um, when I just, in college, I just torn my ACL, and I was at home, and I was doing recovery, and, um, and I was doing rehab. It sounds weird. I used to tell a story. Yeah, I was in rehab, and people looked at me weird, but um, I was in I was rehab here for my knee, and, um, and then I was at my house, and a good friend of mine, her name was Samantha, came over, and she came to visit me, and I was so excited because it had been a little bit since I saw a friend. I thought she was a little cute. She came over and said, you know what? I'm going to help clean the house and do something nice for your family. I'm like, well, just do something for me, you know? Like, this, this comes, it's just like, hang with me. Talk with me. Why are you, why are you cleaning the house when you're coming to visit? Like, no, this will, this will mean a lot to your family. So she started cleaning. And then she had to go to class. And so she left before my parents came home. And, there, and um, so I, I was there like a, soft, or a freshman in college. And my parents came home to check on me. And my mom walks in from school and goes, John, who was here? And I was like, what? It's like, the house is clean. And I was like, you're welcome. She says, no, John, this is girl clean. 
This is not John clean. This is girl clean. And I don't know who this girl is, but I like her. And, uh, and, and there started our friendship and dating and ultimately into marriage. And so there's a difference, right, when someone goes all out and when someone gives the minimum. In this case, Jonah gives the minimum. He says, hey, Nineveh, 40 days, okay, 40 days, that's it. But what's crazy is that when you obey God, it's, it's, not, the, it's not the performance that matters, it's, it's the obedience that matters. And God uses that moment and had prepared the hearts and they respond in a crazy way. Sometimes you don't need a lot of words to communicate well. Christmas Eve, 1910, William Booth, the, the founder or, or one of the um, early generals of the Salvation Army, was very sick and could not attend the Christmas banquet. And back then, when you would send a message, you would, it, it cost money to send per letter or per word. And so because he was sick and because he was ill, he sent a one-word message or commencement speak, uh, speech to be delivered at the Salvation Army Christmas Eve dinner. And so they gathered everyone together and said, General William Booth want, of the Salvation Army wants to give you this message. Others. And that was it. One word. He just uttered the word others. But isn't it amazing that after one, a one word message, here we are a hundred years later and the Salvation Army is actually doing work around the globe, emphasizing and helping others. Sometimes you don't need a lot of words to communicate truth, right? On a wedding day, the most important words you could ever say, I do. Right or wrong, in, in the purchases you make, whether it's a car or a home, you come to a point and you say, I'll take it. If you're in a dating or marriage relationship, the three most important words a guy could ever say to his wife is, I'm sorry, <laughs> or I'm wrong, just, I'm just being practical, okay, no, um, it's the idea of, I love you, right, sometimes the, the, the smallest phrases mean so much, and it makes a huge impact, in fact, uh, I was just talking with a family here in this room um, earlier this week, and I heard the coolest little story. Their little boy, a real tiny, just a toddler, um, they would pray together at night. And so when he wakes up in the morning, their toddler opens the blinds of their window and says, good morning, Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Just the simplest phrases can mean so much. And so here, Jonah did not give a great performance did not give his full effort, but yet he obeyed the will of God and he was there and it was God's power. And so let's see how the Ninevites responded to this five-word sermon. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Sackcloth was meant to show repentance. It was something that you wore to demonstrate that you were repenting before the Lord. But notice how extreme they go. It says, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. 
in church tradition, you've seen people um, do Ash Wednesday, and that was like they put a mark of ash on their forehead, and that was to represent the idea that we came from dust and that we will go to dust, and apart from God, we are nothing. And so here, the king of Nineveh put on the sackcloth to show repentance and sat amongst the ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink, but let man and beast be covered in sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said would come to them and he did not do it. They repented so hard and so full that even the cows repented. They're like, I don't know if my animals need to repent, but just in case, they're going to fast too, and we're going to put sackcloth on them. Everyone's repenting. We have to do this. God help us. God save us. And so in this minimum effort, the most unlikely people repent and are saved. See, God's grace is bigger than our past. Jonah had messed up. The Ninevites had messed up. God's grace is bigger than our um, performance because Jonah did not preach this incredible sermon and, and for days and to each part of the city. He said five words. He said, you got 40 days. But yet even in that moment, God used that and his spirit moved through the city of 120,000 people to where even their cattle repented and they're going through and turned to God. And their repentance ultimately led to God's relenting of justice and wrath upon them. So it's just incredible that we see this. It's an unlikely prophet, unlikely people. But from this truth, we understand that there is nobody, and I mean nobody, outside the reach of God's grace. Amen. Here was a city known for their cruel and evil ways. And here was a prophet who disobeyed and ran away from God. But in the right moment, at the right time, God spoke through Jonah and they repented and they received and they believed God. And it changed everything. God's grace is bigger than our past. He's bigger than our performance. And he ultimately is bigger than our prejudice. Jonah was prejudiced. He thought the Ninevites did not deserve this. They don't deserve it. If we're being honest with ourselves, we're prejudiced too. To be prejudiced means to prejudge somebody. Now, oftentimes it's connected with race, and it's actually demonstrated here in this story, but you can also prejudge someone by their look or by whether they have money or they don't or their political party or, or where they live or by their job, or by their gender. Like, when you show prejudice, when you prejudge someone, you, you give, you, you basically block out the chance to see God work in their life. You say, nope, no, they don't deserve it. You've done unintentionally if you put yourself in God's position. 
As soon as you say, that person doesn't deserve this, what you've done is says, God, nope, they're not allowed to. They're not allowed in. It's the little kid's fort. I said, nope, no girls allowed. Nope. Or this race, not allowed. Nope. This political party, nope, they're not allowed in. Nope. And while it's easy for, for us to say, no, I'm, I'm not prejudiced. Okay, but is there somebody who if they showed up at church today, you'd be tempted to leave? If there's somebody that sat down next to you, it would be difficult for you to worship? Is there somebody that, you're like, man, if they came, I don't know if I could come. That's, that's showing our hearts. That's real, we all have that. But what I wanna tell you is that God's grace is bigger than that. He's bigger. And what our world needs more than anything, because we live in a world filled with difficulties, filled with distractions, filled with divisions. We don't need more social media posts claiming that we're right and they're wrong. Because it's not an us versus them. It's us. <laughs> and it's we. And that all of us are under the authority of God and so that there is grace available for every person. Do we live that way? That is why our vision at Mission Grove is to help every man, woman, and child experience Jesus because what our culture needs is not another program but the gospel, amen? It's available to all. There's a story two weeks ago on the news in Texas and security, um, like maximum security, uh, even solitary and even death row inmates of rival drug cartels and gangs, both just on, on the other side of the border and in the South and really from South America. And so these guys are like the worst of the worst. And in fact, that they require five to six guards for one inmate because of the things that they've done. But there is this incredible story that the news could not explain was that when uh, a church actually started a church campus in the prison and started streaming their services and started having a campus pastor in the prison, prison and they started actually doing worship services and people started getting saved, that here are leaders of this drug cartel and rival gangs that both wanted to get baptized. And so while they were put on other sides of the prison, they came in and got baptized in the same water on the same day and afterwards hugged and put their own lives at risk. Apart from the gospel, how do you explain that? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, was in, I was in Mexico on a mission trip with my own eyes, and we had a group, and some of the students were actually in on that trip, and we did these gospel presentations on the street, and that was pretty cool, but we were going into the prisons, and we thought we were going to go in this front lobby of the prison, but they said, no, no, um, we've gone in lockdown for you. I'm like, oh, that's, I don't, I don't know if we're available now. I mean, we're here, but Okay. And so we got a group of like 15 high school kids, okay, a couple, and we walk into this room, and it's like a, a cinder wall block gym, and on the second level, there was 120 inmates all standing at attention. In order to get into this maximum prison in Guadalajara, Mexico, you had to do something extreme. So, um, and I walked into the room, I was going to be honest with you, there was like four guards and 120 inmates, and they were not... They were not uh, cuffed. 
They're like, oh, they're good. They're at attention. I'm like, oh, that makes me feel safe. I said, and don't worry, there's a sniper up top. I'm like, okay, kids, ignore the sniper. We're going to do our presentation. And so we go, and actually our brother-in-law, who's in the room, was there. He can vouch for this. So he was actually playing the devil in his, in his gospel presentation. And so we're doing these gospel dramas, and Ben was there. And all these inmates started glaring at Ben. I'm like, yo, that's my brother-in-law. This is not good. Or like, I'm going to go back and say, sorry, sorry there, guys. We lost one, but Ben did great. But, um, and so we're doing these things. And here is this, I'm just being transparent and real. We got a bunch of white bread, know-nothing teenagers from Scottsdale, Arizona, and they're doing this gospel presentation to this music. And then one of our leaders gets down and it's big Kevin with Grace and Mercy Ministries. If we've worked with Grace and Mercy Ministries, you've seen Kevin. Um, so he was on this trip and we were rotating through who's preaching. And so he's preaching through a translator and he's just bringing it. And then he says, and if you want to receive Jesus right now, I want you to come down here. And the guards are like, I'm like, it's like, come on, I see it. And for whatever reason, they said, yes. And no lie, God is our witness, out of 120 maximum security inmates, 90 came down and were weeping. And we put these little wordless bracelets on them and gave them gospels of John and we're praying over them and they're just lifting their hands up and they're crying and they're saying, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Or at least, I don't know, I don't speak Spanish, but it sounded like it. And then they were going and we had the, the local church pastors with us and it was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. And was it the skit? Was it the drama? I mean, it was okay, but it wasn't like box office movie, okay? But in that right moment, at the right time, presenting the gospel, God changed the hearts of inmates who came down and realized that while, and here's what's crazy, think about this. While they were physically in prison, they were spiritually and eternally set free. And if God can save the Ninevites, if God can save those in maximum security prison in Mexico, if God can bring rival gang leaders together then I'm telling you that there is nobody outside the reach of God's grace. Do you have a child that's ran away from God? Do you have a sibling? Do you have a spouse? Do you have a friend? Do you have a coworker that's far from God? There is hope. There is hope. God's grace is bigger. And if God is not focused on our past and he's not focused on our performance, because here's the thing, like I, I, want, I want to be about performance. I mean, here we want to do excellence. We want to have an excellent um, really gathering here. And so we value that. But on the flip side, I remember one time when I was in Ohio and I was a youth pastor up there, we were going to do a sporting event um, on a local college campus. And we got speakers who were all Americans from Ohio State, and, um, and they came and they shared their testimonies, and it was incredible. And we got the best musicians in the area, and the worship was awesome. And someone came up and shared the gospel, and it was like, man, this is awesome. We nailed it. And then nobody came forward. No one came forward. And, and some of you are thinking, well, it's because you had Ohio State players. Um, no. Um, we could say that about Michigan, but um, no. And so I was like, God, well, how does this work? And so I realized that it's not about 
the performance, right? It says that we are dead in our sins, but with the grace of God, we are made alive. You know, it's like preaching, going to preach to a graveyard. Does performance matter if you're at a graveyard? If we're bringing the speakers up and we're like, man, that song was really good, right? No, it takes a spiritual miracle to go from death to life. And only God can do that. And where that plays in is that I wish I had a stronger testimony growing up. Like I grew up in a Christian household. I had loving parents. You know, we learned in church about heaven and hell. And I, I came home and I asked my mom about that. And we prayed to receive Christ. And I was like, man, I wish I had one of those cool testimonies. I've come to realize now that God's grace is on both sides, both from situations and before situations. And ultimately, every testimony, every story is one of someone going from being spiritually dead to alive. And that your story, every story is a miracle and worth sharing. They're like, well, I'm not that bad. You need Jesus. I'm not as bad as that person. You need Jesus. I have no hope. Jesus is available to you. And here's, here's what God has asked for us to do. Three things, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Number one, God asks us for faithfulness to his message. Faithfulness to his message. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah and he acted. I wanna thank you for being here this morning so that we can collectively sit under the word of God. I wanna encourage you to, to faithfully gather because there's something special when the church body comes together and the church family comes together to be faithful to the word of God on a weekly but also a daily basis. What is the word of God? Well, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loves us. God gave his son and when we believe, we live eternally. It's that simple. Are we faithful to that message? Do we receive that? Secondly, God asks for our obedience to God's mission. When God tells you to do something, are you willing to go do that? Is there something in your heart right now that you've been putting off for a while? Maybe a conversation you have to have. Maybe a, I don't know, maybe it's, it's to join a community group or to serve or to forgive or is there something that you know you need to do right now? Are you willing to be obedient? Because while Jonah's performance, his sermon wasn't that great, notice Nineveh didn't respond until Jonah did. Are you willing to obey? Are you willing to do what God's called you to do? And then lastly, God asks for our repentance to God's mandate. Are we willing to turn from sin? Because if we are, it says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even the cattle repented, <laughs> right? 
All of Nineveh, that huge revival started when they said, nope, we have sinned, we have wronged, God forgive us. Because when we repent, God relents. When we repent, God relents and his grace becomes available. And if you notice those words here, being faithful, obedient, and repentant, that spells for. And here at Mission Grove, we are ultimately for the community. And when we started this church, you know, I would love to have a growing, booming church, and it's amazing and an answer to prayer to see all of you here this morning. But I've realized that at the end of the day, it's not about our performance. It's not about the words that I say. It's not about the words that we're singing, but about you experiencing the Spirit of God in your life. And then if we're going to be for the community, which we're going to serve and do all kinds of fun stuff, but if we're going to be for the community, what that means is we're going to be faithful to God's message. That means that we're going to be obedient to God's mission, and that when we mess up, we're going to be repentant to God's mandate, and we're going to trust God with the results. And I encourage you to do the same with your family. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you here on this Father's Day that we can come to you, our Heavenly Father, that God, your grace is bigger than our past. God, it's bigger than our performance and it's bigger than our prejudice. God, help us to find the grace in the midst of all of that. And just as the Ninevites repented, may we repent of our sin and turn to you because salvation belongs to you alone, oh God. And for those that are in this room, I pray that they would pray to receive you, maybe for the first time, and saying, God, help me. Forgive my sins, and I put my life in your hands. Thank you for saving me. And God, maybe some of us in the room are like Jonah. We've been reluctant to follow him. We've been reluctant to go on mission for him. We've been reluctant to, to trust. Maybe our prejudice has gotten in the way. Maybe our past has gotten in the way. Maybe we've focused too much on our performance. Whatever it is that's put a wall between us and you, God, I pray that we would just break that down today. God, as you saved the Ninevites in that moment, as you used Jonah to do that, I ask that you would use us right now and save us and bring salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. May this be the most memorable Father's Day for a person in this room because they will forever remember accepting you as Lord and Savior for the first time today. We love you, God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.